Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. I'm your host, Steve Hofstetter. As always, if you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to it, like, comment, rate it, do all the stuff that you do to make sure the art that you like uh, is still around. And I'm joined here, there's so many different ways to start this episode, but I'm joined here by my friend Michael Price, who, uh, the showrunner and uh, co-creator of F is for Family, so F today is for failure. That's right. That's what we're going to do. Um, but also the way we became friends is through that hat that you're wearing. That's right. Uh, fellow Mets fans, we were in a Wall Street Journal article together That's right. about why is it that funny people like the Mets. And by the way, I totally glossed over your other credit, which is you've been writing for The Simpsons for 18 years. Yes. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were... So you were interviewed along with myself, and it was what Hank Azaria, Hank Azaria, uh, John Stewart, probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know Kevin James. There's a lot of comedians. Seinfeld, Chris writers. Rock, right, Bill Maher, of course. So many yeah. Mets fans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, by Jared Diamond, who is now a friend as well. You know, the, yeah. the writer and great baseball writer for the Wall Street Journal. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think my take was probably similar to yours. That like. If you're, to be a Mets fan is basically a giant joke. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're, you keep waiting for the punchline. I I saw it as like like the thing for me. What, what makes me a Mets fan is what makes me a comedian, which is it's counterculture. Ah. Uh, you know, yeah. being being able to be funny means rebelling against things. And the when you grow up in New York, you know the Yankees are kind of like the military complex. Exactly. You know the Yankees are very like. Buzz cut, no facial hair, like dress appropriately. And the Mets are just this bunch of misfits. And, you know, comedians are misfits. And so funny people are misfits. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, this new guy is buying the Mets, you yeah. know, but it'll take five years, what they say. Like, when, if, if he really goes full Yankees or like Steinbrenners in terms of like buying, every, you know, paying a lot. I don't know how people will deal with like success. <laughs> It'll, it know. would be very weird. I mean, you look at the Red Sox. The Red Sox right. were, you know, the underdog forever, and then they became, they became what they always feared. <laughs> so, exactly. and their fans love it. That's true. So I think That's I true. think we could get used to victory. I'm also speaking of failure, wearing a Giants shirt, oh, and I goodness. did this. Yeah. I was gonna wear one of my Mets shirts, but I'm about to hit the road for a couple of weeks, so they're packed. <laughs> so, because I always bring them on the road with me. Yeah. So, and I was like, oh, Michael's on the show. I want to wear I want to wear a Mets shirt. So I wore the next best thing, which is a yes. different losing New York team. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, I, you were the reason I got to do a very cool thing, which was go to a Simpsons live read which yes. was amazing. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. Well, for every script that we write, uh, we write the script. We have a big staff of writers. I'm one of about 18 or 19 writers on our staff, and we spend a lot of time uh, writing the first draft and then punching it up together, rewriting it, rewriting it, rewriting it, and then finally it's time to put it into production. And so the first thing that happens is that we have, uh, we call it a table read, which is, the cast gets together as much as the cast who can be there in person gets together. The rest of them, they're very busy people. So Hank Azaria is always making a movie or, or making his TV show, Brockmire, that he makes. So uh, if they can't make it, then they'll join us via speakerphone, literally on a phone. Like they're like It's like Charlie's Angels, like a voice coming out of a phone. Yeah. Um, but we read the script together, and then because we want to hear how it plays, is it funny, will it get laughs, uh, we invite people to – 
everyone is allowed to bring a certain amount of guests, so that you were my guest uh, at that time. And so, but we really want to hear, it's like a show, it's like a live show where we want to hear what gets a laugh, what doesn't, and we all mark down in our script, that got a laugh, that didn't, and it helps us go forward as we rewrite the script and punch it up to make it better for when it gets produced. It was such a phenomenal experience. It was, I, I mean, there were so many things impressive about it. First of all, the acting on it, it wasn't just people reading. Oh, no. You know, this is, they were act. this was better than a play. <laughs> it was, I'm not a theater, I'm not a theater guy. I'm not a huge fan of live theater. I would go watch this all day, every day. Like, it was so yeah. impressive. I'm still, like you said, I've been there 18 years now. I'm still blown away every time we do one of these to see these amazing actors, Dan Castellaneta, who plays Homer, Krusty, Barney, Mayor Quimby, so many characters just switching back. Homer, I wrote an episode that was about Homer and his father, Grandpa. So he plays both those parts. So he'll do entire scenes where he's just acting with himself and switching back and forth. He's incredible. Julie Kavner, Nancy Carr, the whole cast is just unbelievable. And they really commit at the table read, like you're saying. Because I've worked on other shows where the table reads are kind of like a – you do them because everyone from the staff is there and you want to hear how the script works, blah, blah, blah. And people just kind of like – just kind of half read it. or you know. But this is like a performance. And we really – they really want to sell the jokes and see how they work. So, excuse me, it's amazing. It's amazing to watch. The, the performance aspect of it is fantastic. And I saw there was an element of – so you, I've been to two – the first one, Hank Azaria was able to be there in the room. Oh, good. And I saw when he was talking to himself, <laughs> he played two or maybe even three characters in a scene. Probably. And he's just going back and forth, and it's just such an amazing thing to watch. And I was like, I couldn't do that with one. <laughs> How are you all these people and keeping track of the – yeah. it was just it's, – it's a very, very impressive thing. Yeah, it's great. Now, was it you've – been, you've been at The Simpsons 18 years – was it always that big in terms of writers? Or yes, yeah, yeah, we always have a very, very large staff, um, which thank God we do. It's fun, you know. Yeah, because the way a show gets put together, we'll, we have two separate, uh, two actual physical writers' rooms. Most shows only have one, uh, but we have two actual physical writers' rooms in two different buildings at the on the Fox lot. So one room will be working on script number two while the other room is getting ready to write script number five you know oh, so, so you guys are like divided in yeah, half yeah kind of like it, it's not it's not solid like you're always in one or always in the other but like on the, any given day you'll be in this one or that one the one one of them is run by al Jean, who is our executive producer and our showrunner uh and the other one is run by matt selman who is also an executive producer and he has a certain amount of episodes that that are his that he produces so, but on any given day, like yesterday, I was in Al's room, but today I might be in Matt's room, and it, it kind of cross switched back and forth, and it's fun. Do you find that they have? I mean, cl I'm sure they have some different styles, but do you sure. find that the end product comes out a little bit differently? Like you can tell when it's a Matt episode, or you can, or you can tell. Well, it's yeah, an Al the, episode? well, well, Matt Matt's episodes are very particular in a way because he's very uh, he has very he's they're both amazingly talented, great writers, but. Matt's episodes tend to sometimes reflect his particular interests. Yeah. So uh, one of his first episodes was about uh, he's a big foodie, so he did an episode called "The Food Wife," which was about Marge and the kids getting into like Ethiopian cuisine and, and yeah. you know micro. Uh, I don't. I'm not. I, for me, fancy food is like going to Denny's. You know, so I don't know. But yeah. But well, like, you can get so, the grand slam. That's true. That's true. Uh, what we so, wouldn't have given for one of those in 2015. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so his his sometimes his episodes tend to reflect that kind of interest that he has in those kinds of things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're just different people. So, But yeah. ultimately, 
we're all that's what's so great about it is this kind of hive mind of, of comedy writers and we all work on different things and we all have particular uh, kinds of jokes we like to pitch or let's say you know or different approaches to it and it all kind of winds up being The Simpsons that's something that I, I'd imagine is it's very interesting because fans of shows you know and they talk about what's canon and you know etc and with Simpsons it's a little different because you know Homer's had a million different jobs and a million different adventures and I mean you guys have even made fun of that yes um, but the idea like I think a lot of fans forget that it is literally the decision of whatever human being is in charge of the time. Right. Yeah. And you know, and sometimes you find out about that later where it's like, oh well, this season was different because the the showrunner left or, you know, whatever it is. And people try to keep true to it. Now with the Simpsons, I'd imagine it's a little easier to keep true to it because we know it so well. Mm -hmm. The average person who has never worked on the show still knows the characters very, very well. Yes, that's true. Did you – so how many how many seasons is it, is, is it in now? 32. 32. Uh, season 31 is on TV right now. So uh, it was, we're writing season 32. It was 16 seasons in before you even started working there. Yeah, actually, um, I started – when I started, season 13 was on television, and we were just starting to write season 14. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it had been on for – a good, a good long time. Okay, yeah. Already. Oh, yeah. Sorry, but it was I, still did the I did the math. Oh, right that's on okay. That. Yeah. It was still incredibly daunting for me to join the staff uh, because I knew the show, but I wasn't. I didn't watch every episode. You know, I yeah. mean, I was a casual watcher of it. I thought it was great, of course, but suddenly I was in this room, and you know, there's there's dozens and dozens and dozens of characters, and we have these posters that list with all the characters in them, and I'd be. Who's that guy? Yeah. You know, so my very <laughs> first. There's a guy in a bumblebee suit? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My Why? very first day, one of the writers, uh, this is a little bit of a failure, but uh, but one of the writers pitched, um, it was an episode where Bart sued Homer for emancipation. Yeah. And so he had this like lawsuit against Homer. And they were saying, well, who should, who should Homer, who should Bart's lawyer be? And Lionel sadly, Hutz. sadly, there was no more Lionel Hutz because Phil oh, Hartman had passed okay, away a couple right. years earlier. So, of course, it, it, if he had still been around, it would have no no question be Lionel Hutz. So we're still trying to figure out like who, who's a good lawyer to have. Blah, blah, blah. We ended up going with the made up guy called Larry H. Lawyer, who was sort of based on Larry H. Parker. <laughs> but at the time, they were pitching on different things, and they said um, one of our one of the writers, Ian Maxton Graham, said, "Well, what if it was Burns's lawyer?" <coughs> and so uh, I didn't know at the time, but Burns's lawyer is the word, the name we use for this guy who's kind of he's called blue haired lawyer sometimes, and he kind of looks he's kind of bottled on Roy Cohn. Yeah, and he's like Mr. Simpson. No, no, he's that guy, and Dan voices him. Uh, but he had been Mr. Burns's lawyer in some episode like many years ago. So he's just called Burns's lawyer. So uh, they go, well, maybe Bart should, maybe Bart's lawyer should be Burns's lawyer. And I was like, uh, well, why would he be Bart's lawyer? He's Mr. Burns's lawyer. And he goes, yeah, we just call him Burns's lawyer. You know, yeah, like, it's idiot. You right, know? he's not the he's not representing. <laughs> no, the, no. Yeah. So like, I was like, Ugh, I shut up like for the next month, yeah. pretty much. But that's also like, there's so many characters <laughs> that come back. And my favorite, what would have been a one-off character that ends up becoming a thing was Disco Stew. Yes, I love Disco Stew. Disco Stew is the best because he was just there for a joke. The only reason he existed was for a joke, and then people loved him so much, and then he just kept coming back. Right, because it, it was it was Homer at a yard sale, and there was a right, jacket disco stud. that said Disco Stud, but the D fell off, and then suddenly a real guy named Disco Stu showed up. Yeah, yeah it was right, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, like, who's going to buy – Marge was being like, who's going to buy this jacket? And then, yeah, it was phenomenal. I could quote Simpsons forever. <laughs> um, you know, I, I absolutely grew up on that. I was – 
probably 10 years old when it came out. I used to watch Simpsons when it was on the Tracy Ullman show. Of course, yeah. When my parents would not allow us to do it, but we still did it. And I had the Life is Hell, excuse me, the Life is Hell books from Matt Groening. Yeah, me too. And so I remember calling them like my brothers and my brother and sisters, we would refer to them as the Yellow Family (laughs) because we didn't know that their name was the Simpsons. They were just the Yellow Family that was on Tracy Ullman that was drawn real squiggly. And, you know, and then we found out, like, I think we were we were in, like, a public library, and we saw the Life is Hell books, and we're like, what? They they exist beyond this? And so, you know, we didn't understand IP at the time and how sure, it was right. probably optioned from that. Um, but we were fans from the very beginning. Yeah. And so it, it's just a very impressive thing that it's this machine that has just kept going for so long. We are all still amazed <laughs> that and it's still people, going. And that was the craziest thing about the live read because there are people that will say, oh, Simpsons doesn't have it anymore. It's not as good as it was. And that's just because you, growing up, you have this reverence for what you were part of as a kid. And so you're never going to, if you fall in love with something, it's never going to be as good or better than the thing that you remember because you're nostalgically remembering it. When I see episodes from season two, season three, they're hilarious, but they're also poorly drawn. They're also <laughs> like, they're, it's, it's jumping they're around a little, a little bit. The early episodes are, are just, as if things were at a slower pace yeah. 30 years ago too. So they're Absolutely. a little bit slower. Like, yeah. like for instance, I'm a huge, I love Star Wars. I'm crazy about Star Wars. But if you watch the, the first Star Wars movie now, the first 45 minutes of that are very, 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 very slow moving. Right, and the only reason you like it is because of the nostalgia. Yeah. And because you know where it's going. Right. So, like, when I watch, when I go back and watch, like, the Babysitter Bandit episode of The Simpsons, which was my favorite when I was a kid, and I see that, and I'm like, I love it because it reminds, oh, I remember that part, I remember that part, but I, I don't know if I would love it as much if I saw it now, whereas when I was in the room for those live reads, holy crap, were they funny. Yeah. And I think that one thing that we forget is a show like The Simpsons actually is funnier when you're with more than one person. So much of TV now, you're watching by yourself, you're watching on your phone, you're watching on a tablet, whatever it is. It's not as communal as it was. And Simpsons is a show where so so many of the jokes are like elbowing your buddy and laughing along with them. Right, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I think it is, I think it's not a solitary experience. Um, right, that's why it's always a treat to, sometimes will we'll be a thing where they'll, we'll screen an episode at a festival or, or something like that, you know, and you get to see it play before an audience and they hear the laughs of the audience is yeah. great. And similar with Episode for Family, um, where usually when we re- when we premiere a new season, we have like a screening of it somewhere, the first episode, and with, with a big crowd. And it's really great to be able to yeah. hear, hear your, something that you've worked on in your little room for a year, you know, kind of laugh. And I want to talk about Episode for Family, and I also want to talk about your failure story. But one, one little anecdote from when I went to that live read so everybody who is a guest gets a script, and your name is on a post-it note on the script. And it's just this nice souvenir. And, you know, the actors will sign the script for you afterward. But I didn't think about it. I took a picture of it because I'm like, hey, what a cool thing. And I posted it to my social media, and I said, this is going to be such a cool day. And then you guys were like, everybody shut off your phones. We're starting. I'm like, okay, shut off my phone. 
not thinking about the fact that everybody thought I was on an episode of The Simpsons. Oh. <laughs> and so I open up my phone and just just text, 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 tweet, Facebook message, everything. Just bam, 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 bam. My phone just going crazy because everybody thought, oh, my God, Steve's on The Simpsons, which on one hand I was like, oh, what a nice thing that they think that I could be. But also, like, what a weird, like, what a flex that would be to just simply just be like, oh, hey, this is so cool. What a fun day. I was literally just being like, I got to be a guest on this, you know, like at The Simpsons, not on The Simpsons. Yeah. And to this day, I still get, and I posted a clarification post explaining what it was. But to this day, I still get people asking me, like, which episode were you on? I was like, I wasn't. I just had a script of it, and it's, it was cool. <laughs> well, we'll but, have to get yeah. you on so that we can uh, we would, can fix that. I would love – I don't know if there's any show I would enjoy being on more than that. Yeah. Like just – even if literally I – like my line well, – like the guy, one of my favorite guys, There was there's a guy who uh, when Bart had like shoved everything under a rug – to like clean up <laughs> right. and he takes a step and there's this one guy who just goes hey watch it i love that guy <laughs> like that's i would my brother and i would say that all the time whenever we were like moving stuff around he's like hey watch it <laughs> and so like that kind of thing even if it is just that it would still be such a dream Very come good. true there's a character called just punch the ticket guy too they go like just punch the ticket <laughs> it's oh, literally yeah. called in script we literally, we literally call him just punch the ticket guy <laughs> there's no like abbreviation for him or anything no no the, no yeah, the same the same voice of the Hey Watch It was the I remember the movie theater when Homer uh, gained all that weight and he was wearing moo-moos. Oh yes, of course. And he wanted to uh, watch a watch a movie and he was like, "I got a movie for you, Fetty. It's called A Fridge Too Far." <laughs> and it was the same the same voice. That's Hank. Yeah. We call him Wise Guy. That's called Wise the Guy. The Wise Guy. So it'll say like Usher, like movie theater Usher, but then in parentheses it'll say Wise guy. So that 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 tells me. Oh, and that's that the guy. voice. Yeah, and he's kind of like Charles Bronson. He's kind of like Hank doing kind of a Charles Bronson. I love that voice. Hey, Pelly. Because they did one where they went to Branson, Missouri, and then on the way they stopped at Bronson, Missouri, and yeah. everybody was Charles Bronson. Oh, that's. And great. I think Hank did that voice for everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. it's one of those things that like when like when I see that uh, FXX was running like oh it's all the Simpsons episodes, and it's like oh great I'll sit and watch and I was like. Oh no, that'll take me a week. Yeah, like you don't realize how much there is. In fact, uh, a little plug: there is another, there is a, a another marathon, full, top to bottom, beginning to end marathon, starting on December seventeenth, uh, which is the actual thirtieth anniversary of the very first episode, which was the Christmas episode where they got the Sam's dog and everything. Helper. Sam's little helper. So starting on December seventeenth on FXX, it's. Every episode from one to or up to like six hundred and sixty or something. I right very now. much hope this episode airs before December seventeenth. But if oh, okay. not, the well, marathon's still probably going on whenever can, this episode airs. You can create your own marathon now because every single episode happens to be on Disney Plus. Yes. Because now Disney is our new boss, our yeah. new owners. So okay, so I want to talk about FS for Family. Sure. And I want to hear your failure story, but we're gonna do that after this break. Speaking of bosses and how to pay bills. Welcome back to Failing Forward, of course, here with Michael Price. And I have just spent most of this just reminiscing about how much I love The Simpsons. Uh, not even he hearing all that much from you, and I apologize. I'm just, I'm such a fanboy when it comes to that. Um, so I want to talk about how did this happen? How did you become, because I assume F is for, you know, uh, F is for family. I almost said F is for failure. Uh, F is for, which I may, I don't even know if I've said that in the on this podcast accidentally. But uh, F is for family, you're already a Simpsons writer for, you know, 15 years at that point. Yes. 
So it's, you know, it's an obvious pairing. But how the hell did you get there? Well, I got it. How do I get to the Ephesus family? To the Simpsons. To the Let's Simpsons. Talk about oh my that God. first. Because well, yeah. Well, what I, grew a job. Up, I grew up in the New York, New Jersey area, hence my Mets fandom, uh, in a time when uh, there were three network TV stations and three local TV stations in the New York area and one PBS station. And Wait, I, hold on. As a New Yorker, I want to see if I can do this. Because obviously the, the three network are CBS, ABC, and NBC. Right. The local, because there was Fox. Right. Channel 5. Channel 5 was Fox. Or they um, became fo- Fox. Or right? became yeah. Fox. Right. So what, I don't yeah, even remember. It was called WNEW. WNEW. It was WOR. WOR 9, which, which played became. The Mets games. And that became UPN and then later CW. That's correct. And, and Channel 11, WPIX. WPIX, which showed the Yankee games. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, my God. And then there was God. Channel 13, which was called WNET. It might still be that. That was the PBS channel. Yeah. Did you um, did you get uh, Channel 55, like that? Oh, UAK sure. Movie Absolutely. Channel? Yeah, yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Or like Channel 47 was, uh, I believe, Telemundo, Spanish, Spanish I language. Yeah. yeah. So I, I just. What about like High Channels, which was scrambled porn? No, all right. We'll, yeah, no, no. we'll go. Uh, <laughs> there was also Channel 68, which was like this weird, in the 80s, became like kind of an MTV thing where they showed cool videos. Oh, like, yeah, it was like the box them. or yeah, something. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. And also there was Uncle Floyd. I don't know if you remember Uncle Floyd, but uh, no, I don't he remember. had a show. Uncle Floyd was like a Krusty the Clown type parody who was super funny. He was only only mostly seen in New Jersey. Really bargain basement, hilarious, hilarious show. I it was when I was in college, like it was the thing that you didn't miss. That was like the Simpsons for us. Like you couldn't miss Uncle Floyd every every Four o'clock on every day. Oh he, my God! It was if ch- look him look him up. He's great. He's still out there doing live shows and everything. Yeah. But but as a kid, so I just I love TV. I love watching TV. I love comedy. Um, so on those stations, this is pre cable days. You know, late sixties, seventies. All they had the main shows would be on the networks, but the the local stations would show. You know, Bugs Bunny cartoons. You know, um, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, the Marx Brothers, W. C. Fields. The Bowery Boys, you know, all those old stuff. And I just love them so much. I watch them all the time to the point where, like, I would never, I wouldn't go outside, you know. I just, yeah. like, my brothers would say, come on, let's go play football. I was like, no, 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 there's a really great, whatever, Chuck Jones cartoon on or something. So I didn't know but that you could do anything with it. And, and so I was a theater person. I got into theater. Um, and I still just watch TV and watch comedy. And by this time, like, while, while I'm starting to go to college, that's when, like, set. SNL starts coming out and like Second City TV and I, I eventually gravitated towards wanting to do some form of comedy. Um, very long story short, I did a bunch of crazy things. I, I taught in a high school for two years in a, a kind of an inner city high school in Irvington, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Newark, mm-hmm. um, where I was very woefully unprepared. And I, that would be a great failure story uh, where I thought that I was going to be like the cool, I thought I was going to be like to serve with love, you know, like a white to serve with love in a black, in a black, it was mostly black school. Yeah, this is pre-Michelle Pfeiffer, Dangerous Minds. That's right, but, yeah. I thought yeah. I was going to be her, and, and I thought I'd be like the cool young guy because I was just out of college, and I was, these tits like just walked all over me. They they ran the room. Like I was, I, I, I was terrible at it. Plus I was doing it like as kind of like a day job while trying to get get theater work or whatever, you know, so I was not, I was the worst. I feel bad. If any kid out there, well, you guess you'd probably be in your your 40s now. <laughs> if you were my student in Irvington High School in, like, 1985, you know, I'm very, very sorry. I was a terrible teacher. Yeah, but, if uh, you've made something of yourself yeah. that was on your own. Well, actually, Queen Latifah, <laughs> Queen Latifah wasn't Queen Latifah yet. 
her name is Dana. Yeah. And she was the captain of the girls' basketball team. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know her. I didn't see her. But a, a, a year or two later, when my friend said, you know, the Queen Latifah, that's that's Dana from, from Irvington High School. Oh, my God. So, U-N-I-T-Y. Yeah. So you got to let them know. She did all right. Uh, so anyway, but I eventually got into doing improv and sketch comedy uh, in a place in New York, a, a improv group in New York called Gotham City Improv. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a place where you did improv games. Like I could never do stand up, which you do. I, I have such admiration for stand up because uh, I, to me it was easy to be a, a character in a sketch, but to actually just be myself telling jokes, I couldn't do it. But but doing sketch comedy and, and like finding a in an improv, you you do a funny improv game, and maybe a joke would come out or like a weird character would come out, and then our teachers would say, okay, take that character that you came up with on the spot in this theater game, and now go home and write a scene for that character, write a monologue for that character. So it was about teaching us how to take like a spontaneous idea and then craft it into a sketch or a monologue or a scene. So that's where I started learning like, okay, I think I'm funny. Uh, You know, I'm making making my students, my fellow students laugh. We do like uh, workshop performances. I was getting laughs and I was like, I think I can do this now, you know? So then I had a a writing partner. We we gravitated together and we wrote a lot of scenes. She was a, a woman and we wrote a lot of scenes about like couples going on dates, and and we kind of hit it off in that way. We weren't a couple ourselves, but but we had like a very s- simpatical style, and so we ended up writing our own like two person show, which was just basically a series of sketches about a couple, the relationship, the stages of a relationship of a couple from mm-hmm. like meeting at a at a singles bar all the way through dating and breaking up and all that. And she was very motivated towards being in show business, and I was kind of like, this is fun, you know. But she, yeah. she had like. She was motivated, fast-tracking, like, we're going to get – and she's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put ourselves up. We're going to showcase ourselves in New York. We're going to get an agent. We're going to get a manager. You know, we're going to make tapes of ourselves. This is back when you had to make videotapes. So you couldn't yeah. just put YouTubes out. And we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then we're going to go to Los Angeles, you know. So then – and we did all that, you know. So I kind of came along for the ride. You know, she was very highly motivated. I loved it. I thought we were doing great. And I was like, the hell with it. We'll do it. You know, I was already – I was in my late 20s by then. And it's like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make something in my life, I'm screw it. I'm gonna do it, you know. So yeah. we sold everything, got in a car, and drove out to Los Angeles from New York with like just basically the clothes on my back. But but to have a friend to do that with makes it so much easier. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we had a few contacts, just a few wispy contacts out here, like a manager who had heard of us, you know. So so this manager had, had seen us, I think, or seen our tape and signed us as a manager. And so she knew some agents, so she got an agent from for us at APA, um, which uh, was a really great agency, and they were really behind us. And so they they gave us a showcase. They put together a big showcase at the Comedy Store on Sunset, the main room, the biggest room at the Comedy Store. And this agent called every every uh, network and every production company in town, saying these guys are the hottest things. Uh, you got to go see them. You got to go see them. Come, come, come. And we did I think a two or three night stand, like three nights in a row at the packed room we'd done this show for like a year and a half like it was to the to a t you know and we killed we slayed you know and it's like here we go here we go like next stop giant this is it just open my wallet put it all that's right here we go and the first thing that happened was in terms of failure was the guy was a wonderful man we only met him one time his name was marty klein and he was the head of apa and he was like i love you kids we're gonna make you we're gonna you kids are gonna go really far you know and 
I swear to God, within like a week or two of that, he died. <laughs> oh Poor man God. died. So yeah. I, re- I remember being at his funeral, or his like, uh, not the funeral, but like a, a service afterwards, saying like, oh, "What are we gonna do now?" But we still had our regular agent. But uh, yeah, that's a t- that's a tough thing because it's like <laughs> I feel horrible that he died, but also. I have rent to pay. <laughs> That's right. Like, what do I do? Where's my million dollars? There, there, there is a logistic, <laughs> like there's actual grief, and then there's also logistic grief that does yeah, come with that. That's right. So what we discovered was that suddenly we were like, we had meetings everywhere, at every network, at, yeah. every, at every production company I'd ever heard of, at Castle Rock, at 20th Century Fox, at NBC. We're like, here we go, here we go. And we thought like, they're just going to say, sign you up, here you go, what do you want to do? What's your show? And as we found out, what we found out is that what they wanted us to come in and say, they wanted us to have ideas for sitcom ideas, which we yeah. didn't have anything. So a little bit of the blame goes to that agent uh, who didn't quite yeah, set us up. How does the agent not know? I don't know. He, I guess he just thought we'd go in there and like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, he, he's the guy who'd been in the business Step for a one, while. Step one, showcase. Step two, not sure. Step three, profit. <laughs> Pretty much. So we had this meeting, and this is the this is the moment where. Um, that's what we had some meetings, and they were like, "Well, what are your ideas for things?" And we're like, uh, we, "We don't know." You like, know, did you see the show? We did that. <laughs> right. We could so do the, that again. So then the the agent was able to step in and say, "Well, they're working on stuff." You know. So then they, yeah. we we had a follow up meeting. This is at 20th Century Fox, where I work now, like a hundred yards from where I work now. And we're in this we're in the meeting with this woman who was one of the executives at 20th Century Fox, and we pitched this. We had like a week, and we came up with the lamest idea for a show ever, which was set at a health club. Um, and we had really bad ideas. So we pitch it anyway. We're pitching it. And and so she goes, okay, so interesting, interesting. So uh, would you say, is this an 8 o'clock show or a 9 o'clock show? So that's terminology that means back in those days, especially like this is like the early 90s, an 8 o'clock show was like full house, yeah. meaning for kids and family. A 9 o'clock show was like Seinfeld, you know, more adult. We didn't know that. So she goes, so would you say this is an 8 o'clock show or a 9 o'clock show? In my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, we saw that. Yeah. I go, I go, wherever you want to put it, oh my <laughs> that's <God>. fine. Uh... <laughs> wherever you want to put it, that's fine. And so the agent goes, he goes, ah, it's, it's a nine o'clock show like that. But you could see like the, the look on the woman's face was just like, oh. Because she's like, oh, these are, kids don't know. They don't know anything. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, thanks a lot. We'll, we'll see you later. And then literally nothing. Like that was it. Like hit a brick wall, nothing. Uh... And I'm back to like. Having like thirty eight. That is absolutely the agent's fault, though. Yeah, I, like, I, I, from I agree. Start I agree. to finish, the the whole point of an agent is to do what you can't do for yourself, which is walk you through this. If you knew all that stuff, you wouldn't need him, right? Or we would have spent. We, he had told us we would have spent that whole year we were preparing for our showcase with writing a writing a show or having having sitcom ideas or at least yeah. doing something but we didn't yeah one so. one thing i always tell uh comics who are looking to do more than just stand up who are looking to sell shows and things like that is have your show already written and ready yes have your pilot ready have your have a seven season story bible have a you know yep. have the whole thing ready to go because there will come a time where someone will see you and they'll go hey you're really good do you have anything and the last thing you want to do is be like uh, well, let me go to a coffee shop and try to write some. It's like, no, come up with it yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. have have eight different things in your pocket. That's um, exactly right. I I feel like we need to do another episode. 
because I'd wanna, love to. I want to talk to you about so many more things. I've got lots of failure. We should. <laughs> I mean, we could do a whole episode just about being Mets fans in the sure. '90s. I would love anytime. Have oh me back my God. anytime. I, I'll I'll be ready to just go. The, oh, I'll go to a coffee shop and think Yeah. Ugh. Oh God. What, 103 uh, losses was yeah, it? Yeah, that was the worst team money could buy. Yeah. Right, that was the that craziest thing. part about the when people make fun of like the Bobby Bonilla contract, it was the second time they signed him. <laughs> it wasn't even from the first time when he That's made funny. sense. It was re-signing him. Now it's better that they it, it's it's actually better that they deferred it. And I, I've talked about this before about like them deferring it allowed them to uh dra- to sign Mike Hampton. Who brought them to the who brought them to the World Series. Right. And then Hampton leaving gave them the draft pick, which was David Wright, who brought them to the World Series. Exactly. So them deferring that contract was a wonderful idea, but them having that contract in the first place yeah. was a very Mets thing to do. Yeah, totally. So totally. anyway, we could talk about that forever. Um Ev is for family. We didn't talk about it enough. Uh season four coming out now. Yeah, it'll be coming out probably uh Sometime March, April area. We don't know exactly when, but somewhere in there. If you haven't watched that show, uh, for anyone who's a fan of mine, you would enjoy this. It is quick. It is dark. It is adult. It is very. It's it's what it's the difference between a cartoon and animation. <laughs> you know, animate when people anyone who calls something like F is for Family a cartoon, they don't understand. Right. It's animation. Yeah. It is. A wonderfully hilarious story. Um, I still need to catch up with more of it. Um, but there's my favorite thing. I was telling you about this before we started recording. My favorite thing is there's a character, uh, like a news reporter, who is 1970s woke. Right. And it's so spot on as to what woke used to be when people thought they were being woke, but they're actually being extremely offensive. Right. That's my favorite character. That, and I know yeah. it's such a bit part, but it's it's a recurring. No, no he's he. I mean, yeah, he's huge. He's played by Phil Hendry, the great Phil Hendry, yeah. if you know Phil. Uh, Jim Jeffords is his name. He's based on Jim Jensen, who was the anchorman on Channel Two in New York. Growing yeah, up. he's. It's yeah. just such a great. It's such a great character. Oh, thank that, you. Like, yeah, yeah I, I loved it. Anyway, um, do you want to plug anything else? No, Officer Family, uh, Simpsons, like I said, is on Disney Plus now, but new season, new episodes are still coming out all the way through May on Fox and beyond. So, yeah. yeah. And speaking of new season, when uh, when April rolls around, we got to go to a game. Definitely. Yeah, we have still not gone to a game together. Come with me to spring training. I'll be down in spring training. I would training love in to. March. I would love to. We were there last year. Dude, absolutely. Yeah. Come down to spring training. I got I got some access. It's, uh, it's a lot great. of fun. That sounds great. So excellent. Uh as always, thanks for watching, subscribing, liking, following, do all that stuff. And uh and check out the Simpsons Marathon on FXX if it is still running at the time.